Good morning, 23rd of July, it's 8 o'clock, this is the big kickoff. Good morning and welcome to the big kickoff here in Lippy Sounds 96.4. Yes, that's the classic intro to the to the golf. Obviously, it's the final day. Mr. Shannon, how are you this morning? I'm great. Yeah, no, the golf was good. I didn't get to see it all yesterday. Where's that now? Where but, were you? Uh, oh, oh, out in Bray. We went, to the, we went to the air show. Oh, look at the planes. The, it was great. Yeah. Because the weather was great. The crowds were mad. And uh, I pity all the people who are going to go out there crushing each other. And obviously, the weather was good to you, yeah? And weather was good till about, yeah. till about six or so started to cloud over and we were out of there <laughs> but uh, came back and then I seen the, the highlights of the golf and, and uh, I had uh, I have backed Brandon Grace and uh, I, had, I had given up on him give him, get him, give yeah. me any sort of a run but some round some round ah 62 yeah he um... now it's, a, it's 62 they say a 62 has never been done in a major yeah. but it's a par 70 yeah so it's not really Correct. 62 is it I know, like you still have to like it's links golf and it's obviously yeah. difficult, but it was a cracking uh, start. But for a golden period of about an hour, an hour and a half, the golf was ridiculous. Yeah. It was like somebody was playing on the PlayStation. Everything was perfect. Yeah, and even McElroy was perfect. And then after the far told he decided to implode again. Unfortunately, um, but there was chip ins, there was all sorts. They were stitching them within a, an inch, couple of inches. It was ah, super golf. And then there's this young fella called Austin Connolly. He's only twenty from Canada. Doesn't even break a smile. And he's chipping in from 150 yeah. yards. He barely puts his hand up, and the crowd are going nuts. Brilliant to watch. Um, on the show, yes. Today, what have we got today, my good man. Well, today we're going to look at because you can look at um, Brandon Grace's eight under par round, and could there be a little comeback there coming on? Uh, we've, we've and we've had uh, comebacks before in, in in some of the major competitions, just from out of nowhere. Yeah. So we're going to have a look at that in in, in uh, some of the best. Give any Rory fans a bit of hope, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, he, he needs... <laughs> Which there is no. He needs a plane to crash into the, <laughs> the 18 to a speed on it or something. I don't know, but it's not going it's, it's to... I think it's not going to happen for him. Uh, we also um, have our first great debate. Yeah, we kicked the harness nest here, didn't we? Uh, well, we got a bit of In a, a good way. We got a bit of a reaction. So our, our first great debate, we'll talk more about that when, when, when that comes around, but it's basically, uh, the, the question is, is the League of Ireland under 13, 15, 17, 19 league, um, are they going to save Irish football? So, and it's a good question, and as you said, it's, it's stored up a little bit oh, of, absolutely. Of, of a debate. Plenty of foreign against. Uh, and we'll have our usuals. And the usuals, right, we're going to kick off with uh, obviously a band who've been well known uh, in the last 24 hours for a big concert in Croker. This is you too, even better than the real thing.
And welcome back to the big kickoff here in Lippy Sounds on 96.4. I listen to us worldwide. I can't say worldwide without thinking of prestige worldwide. <laughs> um, on tuned in uh, rap. Now, we're going to kick off with the news. What have you got yourself, my man? Um, well, we had a, a, a sprint champion. Yes, we did. You have to rub my own. <laughs> Go on. Uh, Gina Apke Moses. That's right. The 100 meter gold in the under 20 championships. Yeah. Uh, it, it was. It's not only a good feat, but the fact that we had uh, two runners in the final. Yeah, that's right. That was another thing I put in kind of my notes. That there, was, there was a, sec- a second girl, I, I don't know, I think she was seventh or uh, whatever she was. Yeah, Kira Neville was finishing yeah. seventh place. Yeah. Uh, uh, Gina says, it's amazing. I'm so, so happy and absolutely ecstatic. I can't believe it. Um, when I heard the results, I was so, so happy and absolutely ecstatic. Ah. And I couldn't believe it because we're not, we're not renowned for it. Um, no. And it now, uh, it is under 20 and, and yeah. you know, we'll talk about football later on about you know, development yeah. and going on to the next level. But it's certainly something that's never happened for us really before. And, uh, exactly. Like, and it's a European championship. So like the problem with athletics, top three is all that matters. But when you think about it, like even Paul Hessian back in the day, he was a 200 meter runner. He got to one or two major finals like Worlds and Olympics. Yeah. He was in the top eight sprinters over 200 meters in the world. And when you think about the Jamaicans, the Americans, and there's all pasty Paul Hessian. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The fastest European, fastest like Irish guy, like or whatever. And it's a massive team. And Gina has them potential capabilities to be hitting finals. And of course, if she doesn't win medals, no one's going to know about her, which is a shame. But uh, yeah, it's definitely watch this space and we'll see what happens. Uh, now the time was eleven seventy three, so mm. it's not bad, and obviously there has to be a lot of improvement too. Yeah, you know, but uh, yeah, no, it's, it's good. It's uh, more so that there was there was two Irish girls. That's, exactly, that's, that's the the the, the biggest. She won gold. It's great, but more so that there was two Irish girls means hold on, there might maybe something actually yeah, exactly. happening here. Um, but yeah, I thought that was a good one. Oh, absolutely, and uh, Chris Froome uh, pretty much has the yellow jersey sewn up for the Tour de Row in the Tour de France. Yeah, and after the time trial yesterday. Yeah, which was good. It started in Stade Velodrome, Marseille's ground. It started inside it and finished inside it. And the French, oh, what's his name? Roman Bardet is now, he's on the podium. And he was literally finishing and Froome literally came in right behind him. So there was no big fanfare because he was, uh, obviously Bardet struggled. But uh, he's 54 seconds clear. And today is more of a processional thing. And as I said, I had a moan in the car coming in going, that's a little bit, like usually he's four or five minutes or just later. Like I, if I was the other guys, I'd be still fancying it a little bit. I think, but see, it's I, pretty much a done deal. They all celebrated yesterday. Everyone knows that's their positions. We just ride into Paris now and we'll, we'll take it easy. Yeah, I think it's because teams are so strong that they're able to drag people back if at will yeah. if they now want it, to it's always a flat race it's always and it's seven or eight laps around yeah. the city yeah. so maybe it's kind of one of them things over the years but, but if it was a tight yeah. if it was 15 16 seconds i'd be like no screw this i'm going of course you would yeah why wouldn't you but there's um if there's a big catastrophe let's just say there's a bit of a fall yeah do they wait do they I, sit back? Well, I don't think I'd be waiting. It's still a, it's still a, it's still a last age, you know. Yeah. So why would you? So, yeah. but um, I, I think I think they're more celebrating at the fact that they know that yeah. they're in control of it. And oh, sure, after about a couple of k now, they'll all share the glass of champagne. And oh no, this is pretty much it's done and dusted. And they all sit up on the seats and they sit there and they sit there champagnes and all yeah. cheers each other. We've made it three weeks, lads. The uh, 
But in the last week, in fairness to Chris Froome, yeah, he stood up and been counted. Yeah. Every time that there's been a, yeah. up the mountains, a breakaway or yeah. anything like that, he hasn't been too he far before, Considering when he lost the jersey for a couple of days, yeah. on that stage he said it, I hadn't got the legs. Yeah, it, The guys went and I couldn't. So he, that was obviously his down day and he managed to get back and find a second, third, fourth, fifth wind, whatever the drugs do to you. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. Um, leash players. Did you see about this? No. Intrigued leash, me. Leash players are, have been accused of drinking ahead of a championship game oh, during an explosive yeah. county board meeting. Uh-huh. Um, after suffering an embarrassment of being relegated to Division 4 earlier this year, Leash had 11 points to spare over Longford in their opening uh, Leinster cha- or the Leinster Championship opener but they were soundly beaten by Kildare uh, in the quarterfinals before limping off uh, against Will- Wicklow in yeah. the qualifiers um, th- there's been a lot of talk about this and a lot of hurrah and we don't really talk about Gar that much and we, no. um, um, uh, it's, not, it's not really that we hate Gar and that we're just not very knowledgeable in yeah, the Gar exactly. we're like the, the normal run of the mill mm. well it does but it, sa- it says here uh, I'd just like to make the point, and this is uh, the manager. I'd just like to make the point, and I'll ask the question here uh, Is it the manager's fault that at least four of the senior players uh, congregated for drinking sessions? Everyone in the street is talking about it. Is it the manager's fault, or is it the players' fault? Four of the starting team were involved in that. You can't drink points of Guinness and talk shite in a pub and then play football. So this is from the county. Now, are these nights before the games or a couple of days before the games? Or? I think these are, 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 are nights or day for... They're kind of consistently gone yeah. in for a few beers. Yeah. yeah they so, have to live like monks now. So... Pay me. But in fairness, you're, 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 you're representing your county. Yeah. That's a badge, badge of honour, mm. you know? No, I know. So you're representing your, your... And if that's happening, then, you know, let's put it this way. If it's happening and the manager doesn't know... Mm. And the manager does know, he deals with There's it. There's no two ways about it. He if the manager, to know. If the manager does know and plays them, yeah. well, then he's accountable. Yeah, So I think there's a, there's a I'd be surprised if he never knew. I'd be surprised Absolutely as well because uh, Johnny down the road who owns the, the, the bar and uh, Katie who owns the post office, they all know all this stuff, you know. So they're telling him and, and he must know, must know. <laughs> Absolutely. Mr. Bolt of Jamaica, Usain Bolt, the fastest man in the world, is finally kicking up a notch with two weeks to go of the World Championships. He's finally broke 10 seconds with a 995 in Monaco for his last uh, competitive. Like He's obviously got a few more races as the year goes out, but this is their last big championship, so he's starting to kick form. So hopefully yeah, he'll do another double. He's only doing the 100 metres in the 4 by one He's not doing the 100 and 200 double. Oh, is he not? He's just come out, yeah. Oh, but it doesn't matter, does it? No. As long as no. He, I think uh, he said that this... He was going to finish last year, and he said that this year was for... Like uh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A lot of them were saying, "Listen, we'd like to see a race one more time." Blah blah. So he yeah, said he'll yeah, do a world back circuit. to London. Yeah, you know, it's like Phil Collins doing his "I'm not dead yet" <laughs> or, uh, you know, "I'm not Although slow." He did I'm his not best. slow yet. Yeah, he did, he did his best. <laughs> he did his best to be <laughs> to kill himself before Dublin. <laughs> I tell you, you, look good now on the drum set with a big bandage around his head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Jerry Cunningham, speaking of guy, we might as well come up with another one. Like we might as well show. We were only talking about the Dubs there when they were knocked out of the championship. He's uh, the Cork man is left the post as Dublin hurling manager. Obviously, he's up against that, as we spoke about a few weeks ago, with having a good depth of talent, but obviously missing one or two players who could easily improve with the football. So, unfortunately, he's uh, moved on. So, that's going to be another merry-go-round. Are they going to go down the country, get more kind of a 
Harlan renowned manager or is there somebody from within the game I know it's a watch this space but he left there during the week this is a gaff fest isn't it yeah two uh, in a row of a headache <laughs> but as we said there's problems within the yeah. the county between playing for the football yeah. or the Harlan and so whoever's brought in they're already struggling they're already yeah. they already have a limp yeah. so I don't know who's really going to be mm. too interested by the people who want to make a name for themselves yes yeah, so. exactly um, Wimbledon yeah. uh, is over and uh, I got it wrong again <laughs> no surprise <laughs> there uh, but Roger Federer now in fairness it ah, was always legend. it's always a 50-50 but he demolished them in fairness and in fairness him, he kind of prepped for Wimbledon because he pulled out of the French Open because he had one or two niggles and he kind of went I've, no I'm going to get my body ready and give this Everything. proper go and yeah. of course he was but flawless he was, he was immense now in the yeah. final uh, but three Wimbledon 2017 matches are being reviewed after uh, alerting to potential max fi- match fixing brilliant yeah and so and, and, and this is a little bit disappointing because yeah. now there's, there's certain sports that you think Listen, they're just to- totally honest. When you know people aren't really totally honest, but you're still kind of thinking, this yeah. is an honest sport and what have you. But two matches uh, uh, are in the qualifying tournament and one in the main draw um, are being looked at. But also, a statement confirmed that one match in the French Open is being analysed as well. So, it's a good thing that they're looking at this. Not, yeah. But, I know. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's and it could be like a bit like what the one with cricket a couple of years ago. It could be, I don't know the exact bets in tennis because there could be hundreds of them like how many breaks a serve or how many aces and this that and the other so I mightn't actually I'm going to throw the game but I'm going to throw unforced errors or it could be something tiny where it's very hard to detect yeah. so I don't know the exact bets I can't think but of it, it's a sport that you could kind of do something funky like that a bit yeah. like no balls in the cricket and that's what they taught we'll do these little innocuous things we won't affect the game but we'll make a few lads very rich I'm struggling to find the name of the fella who got knocked out in the second round or first mm. round of Wimbledon and he he this year and he basically his he said that you know I'm bored I'm just bored that's right yeah, this yeah. Year. so that, all and sudden, he's well up in the rankings I can't think of the guy's name offhand but yeah no you're thinking hold on you can't just drop out because you're and bored and it's like um, oh what's his name an Australian guy another one of these full of talent but absolutely mad as a box of frogs like same thing only recently like I'm bored he gives up halfway through matches yeah. what is his name I can see the guy's face but uh, it, you know I suppose it's week in week out you're going out there playing the same bloody game and if you're not really at the elite it, like maybe you can burn out a little bit and maybe that's where he's coming from now and thinking oh. and so this is the reason why they're looking at metrics isn't it yeah so. and these guys are the ones that they could be going alright let's, let's, let's pop a call into him and following up from tennis uh, the Swedish Open this week the sem- one of the semi-finals between Verdasco and Ferrer was interrupted when a man walked onto the court and starts uh, chanting uh, Zeke Heil in Swedish didn't know. <laughs> so halfway through the game and the boy comes out and he's giving it the big one and uh, yeah he was a uh, Kindly escorted off the court anyway, and yes. the lads played on. But uh, a bit of a bit of fun. Bit of fun. Um, that is it. That is it. That Very is good. It. Yeah. Uh, obviously, uh, a bit of terrible news at Haydock there on Friday. Uh, the stalls, John the stalls, that where the horses go into when they come out uh, in the flat racing. Yeah. Um, and they kind of they're on a kind of a trailer thing, and they put them on the different the different measurements for whatever the length of the course. And uh, yeah. unfortunately, one of the stall handlers was run over and sadly died a couple of hours later. That is not good news. Yeah, sorry, I thought you were going to go there or something. And uh, and <laughs> and 
yeah so I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it there because poor Elroy is uh, having a moment to himself uh, <laughs> coming up after the break we're gonna go through some of the greatest comebacks in golf history as poor Elroy needs a miracle today coming up after the break you're listening to Liffy Sound on 96.4 FM and welcome back here to the big kickoff here in Liffey Sounds 96.4 or join us on the tuned in app. Uh, coming up at nine o'clock, we have the great debate with Karen Masson about the new National League setup with the under 15s now coming in with the 17s and 19s. If anyone wants to get in, in touch with us, get, our number is 087 062 7138. That's 087 062 7138. And if you just want to check our Facebook page, the big kickoff, if you need that number again, or even get onto us through our Facebook and we, we'll put our questions there. Uh, our issues uh, on the matter uh, after nine o'clock. Anyway, Mr. Shannon, poor El Rory is nine shots back. He, he gave everyone a bit of a, a glimmer oh, of hope after four holes yesterday. Well, uh, even the second round. Yeah. The second yeah. round was like, hold on, no, he, he can't put something Especially together. in tough conditions, yeah. So to have um, a, a day that, I suppose, moving day, isn't that what yeah. they call yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So a moving day on a good day that he did disappoint but then everyone's looking uh, there's a lot of pressure on him because everyone's looking for him to you know just be the best and oh, be the best up. all the time and turn up and, and but no one has a divine right and there's so many good golfers now you just can't you just, if you're not playing well you haven't got a hope because there's yeah you've, you've got another 20 who will yeah you listen to the sky boys now and they were in great form yesterday and but Charman as well is great to listen to and he's very much like like he says it many times you have no idea just how good a lot of these guys are they're ridiculous they're, they're magic wands Them, the, the wedges and the lob like that's why they drive as much as they do because they don't really care about the inaccuracy half the time because once they're within 150 they can get out that wedge and stick it wherever they want to you know and in fairness there was plenty of it yesterday as I said there was a golden window of about an hour and a half where yeah, everyone was, was perfect yeah. chip ins from 150 200 yards off uh, from the fairway they were stitching within an inch or two just phenomenal stuff yesterday everyone was at it and unfortunately McElroy peeled away but he's nine shots off but there's a bit of hope well there's always a, a, a bit of hope and there's always that someone who will creep up no. yeah. funny enough when McElroy plays uh, and this coincides probably with him not winning but he normally has a terrible first round somewhat not bad second round third round he moves comes alive, yeah. and then he finishes in the top five yeah. so but we, we've seen some miraculous comebacks in golf yeah. Uh, so we're trying to give some hope to the to the poor old deluded McElroy well, fans uh, uh, let's put it this way McElroy he needs a, a huge swing you know like with every great comeback, there's obviously great blow-ups and capitulations. And obviously, that's what we're going to look at now in the next few minutes. Because for every good comeback, there is a guy who's absolutely imploded. And uh, the first one, obviously, is Faldo was six shots back and Greg Norman back in the 96 Masters. Do you remember that well? I actually remember watching him. Yeah. Uh, I think, yeah, six shots back. And he shot a solid 60. What have I got here? Yeah, he shot, he shot a solid 67, five under par. Norman shot a 78, but God love him, he was gone. You could see very early on. You, you could see it at that time uh, the nerves, yeah, absolutely shaken, and yeah. everything he did just fell apart. Faldo said it in um, one of them specials that Sky Sports do from time to time to get kind of great sportsmen, and yeah, he said, "Yeah, yeah it was a straight shoot in my eyes. I looked at it as a match play, and I went out in the first tee and I put the chest up, and I wouldn't take my eyes off him." And I was waiting for him and waiting for him and waiting for him. And he wouldn't look at me. And eventually he did. And he put his eyes back down again. And he went, yeah, I've got your number, mate. And I think if Faldo at that time, 
was he, he was Terminator at that time of golf yeah. because he was so focused. There was no real emotion. He was just, yeah. apart from when he won it. Yeah, of course. Broke down, but, yeah. you know, when he was playing, it was just simple. And I remember li- listening to him talk before. Uh, he says, I don't go out to get boardies. I says, uh, I obviously I don't go out to board. I go out to par every hole and every, every, every hole then that I boardie is a bonus. But he says, because I go out with the thing of get on the green and give myself a chance. Give a chance, yeah. That, it, it worked for him, you yeah. know. So he had a he had a method, and he stuck to that, and he was a machine like that. And and he, his emotions didn't get the better of him. Where Greg Norman really wanted it, and yeah. it's amazing what uh, psychologically. Uh, and another guy who's at the, at the peak of his game as well, and it just goes to show you on a given day. And maybe it, it's 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 the player that it is, like the Faldo. He knows he's stronger mentally than him. And, it's the, the mental intimidation of the guy. And as he said, he wouldn't take his eye off him in that first tee box just to let him know, yeah, I'm here today for you, pal. If you look at Jordan Speed, though. Yeah. Jordan Speed, he's won a couple of, you know, tournaments already, um, majors, so he's not really in the same boat. And he enjoys leading from the front. Yeah. Like, obviously, he, I think he... Well, wasn't it from start to finish in the Masters yes. his first Masters literally yeah. from day and he seems to be more a better leader than a better chaser so and yesterday same again he was fantastic and Cooch got close he got within one and then of course he double I can't help but go Cooch <laughs> but uh, yeah he double bogeyed unfortunately on the 16th I think and now he's got a three shot lead and then for, like the next one back is a guy called Austin Conley on five under as well as Brooks Kupka so is it Kupka Koka Kepka, they're Kep- all they're all saying. Yeah, I think it's Kepka. Yeah, they're all saying Kepka, and then of course your man Brandon Grace there is on. Come on, Brandon. Uh, probably has to shoot another sixty-two. Yeah, and hope for the best. Now I don't know what the weather's to be like today. That's the one thing I should have checked. Well, I, I, I was the wind uh, to get up a bit. I seen the weather forecast, and it must have changed a little bit. Uh, I yeah. seen the weather forecast on Friday night, and it must have changed a little bit. As I said, I was out yesterday, so I didn't get to see yeah. a lot of the golf. But only, that was but perfect, yesterday. Jordan Speed was talking about it last night, and he reckons that if you get an even power, par or one under uh, round today, today uh, because the wind is going to be blowing in yeah. a certain direction, that it's actually going to be a good round. So I think it's going to be a little bit testing. So it just goes to show you, if somebody somehow pulls out a magic round today of a 64 or 65, you never know. They might get involved. Might, yeah. yeah. Might. Because yeah. There, is, there is a few, as I said, there's, and if you look at, say, obviously McElroy is in, is, is in 11th place, but if you look at it, Stenson's up there, Johnson's up there, Matsuyama's up there, obviously Grace, if he does something similar, like, they're all big names, there's big boys around, there's no reason why some of them mightn't eke out a 65 or 60 for today and speed might just have a nice plain Jane level pair and just put the squeeze on with a few holes to go you never know what is it it's three shots though isn't it yeah he's three shots on Matt Cooter Cooter. at the moment um, and on third place five under so they're six behind so that's a, that's a big you're form. probably looking at a straight shoot shoot, it, shoot out between the boys yeah. maybe unless one of them comes out of the traps absolutely ridiculous and then speed maybe drops a shot or two early and you might kind of get the nerves jangling like which can happen in golf you know there's been plenty of them do you think that Coocher looks like one of those puppets from Goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> it always sticks in my head every time I see him. He looks very rosy-cheeked. and It's a bit of a ventriloquist yeah, smile, isn't it? it? Is, well, yeah. maybe he's probably bored of hearing Coosh. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks. Shut the... F- <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm bored of it. But he, uh, I actually... I had backed uh, Brandon Grace said that and I had John Ram as well who yeah. disappeared yeah, we'll, but we'll I go. accidentally clicked on Coocher who was I think it was 50 to 1 as well as Brandon Grace and I went yeah is that a sign I said no and I clicked I wonder how many again. fell for McElroy on Wednesday's press conference yeah I hear him at 20 to 1 yeah I put a few couldn't I well I know a few who did yeah <laughs> 
and then now, fairness, a twenty to one for Macro, you can't ignore that. It's, it's first time he's been twenty. Yeah, you can't ignore. T- think what he would have got after you know oh, nine holes. It would have yeah. been probably in you know hundred oh, to hundred and fifty. Yeah. So, yeah. but uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it, it certainly is setting itself up. So, is there is there is there a- any hope? Of course there is. Like Steve Elgerton, he was seven back in the 95 PGA. Uh, he shot a 64 and forced the playoff at Monty. And poor old Monty blew up as, as he'd done, unfortunately, on a few occasions. Um, there's plenty of them. Obviously, Paul Laurie, we'll come to that in a minute because we have a cracking clip of Pierre Alice's commentary of poor old Jean van der Velde absolutely imploding, as we all remember, in the Bourne. But, uh, and then, obviously, there was a couple of cracking uh, comebacks in the Ryder Cup, obviously, with... Uh, the Battle of Brookline. Do you remember that very well when they all start charging the green? Yes, yes. And they're, Just and they're, bloody Leonard. And they're terrible. Yeah. Wasn't there photographs on their shirts? Yeah, it was photographs of all the previous US Ryder Cup winning teams yeah, and yeah. they really went for the heartstrings and they really went for it. Uh, ben Crenshaw was the manager. Uh, or sorry, Ryder Cup captain for them. And uh, yeah, he, tur- he, he, he the lads knew nothing about it and then of course they did a presentation the night before and he really plug, uh, tugged on the heartstrings and tried to get them pumped up. But they were 10-6 behind. Big struggle, the usual crack, but uh, he made a little bit of a prophecy the day before, um, and here's a little clip of him at, a, at the press conference uh, the night before the uh, the singles day. Our team was actually almost to the desperation level, really, four points down. But I felt like enough of our fellows were feeling good about their games. I'm a big believer in faith. I have a good feeling about this. If we hadn't started well in the first three or four matches, it was over. These guys, the way they were playing, I thought that they were up for it, and I thought they were just desperate enough to think that they could do it. Watching everything unfold was unbelievable. It just... Yeah, because <laughs> the video is literally of all stereotypical Americans giving it the woo spring break kind of thing every single one of them went on a streak and there's a famous one I think it's on the 16th I can't remember who Lane was playing and uh, he knew the putt was good so he, he gave it the big one and followed the putt as it was going towards the hole and as it dropped in just kept walking just yeah, and yeah. start hooping and hollering and high-fiving onto the next tee box and I was like ugh and then of course the famous Ollie shaking the head looking at Isn't Leonard that when they ran across his line yeah see technically he could have halved the game and then it would have been a draw yeah and I think yeah they had won the previous one so in theory they would have retained it yeah but um, as Leonard came out he, he said look when that put went in I wasn't thinking of anything other than oh my god yeah. what a put and I get it but yeah but you get it but that's still they're still respecting the game yeah you can yeah. still do that and not run across people's lines yeah. and, and and it wasn't necessarily just him it was the fact that they all it was everyone else came on and ran straight across to yeah. him he kind of didn't exactly go across the line himself it was more yeah. the mass kind of yeah. let's all yeah. run down we just well, I think it. that was shown <coughs> I, I, I think if you look at the American crowd and you look at the, the it was European, really cranked up in that the tournament crowd, the American crowds are that little bit much more not in control yeah, and when you go when you go and watch eating the one beer, they're gone. You know, <laughs> yeah, they can't handle it. <laughs> Sip of it, Henry Sellers. They, they all become Henry Sellers. <laughs> USA, I made the Ryder Cup. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no. So they're always that little bit of you know they're li- they're likely to someone's on the tee box, you know, to distract them yes. or whatever. I yes. think I think there's a bit more manners on the yeah, European. They, they push it a little bit more. But then we got it. We got them back there in uh, Medina in 2012, and we were 10-6 down and they managed to we uh, we obviously uh, the Europeans pulled on the heartstrings with Seve with Ollie and Seve and uh, managed yeah. to inspire them and of course 
Well, if I if, if I suppose if, if we were in a situation where you won one in every three or four tournaments, yeah. you know, it, it might feel a little bit more special. Maybe that's how it is, you know. Yeah. It's always special, but when you haven't done it for a while, it'd be like Liverpool when yeah. they eventually win, you know, something like the championship or something. <laughs> <laughs> well played, actually. Well played. But, uh, Liverpool Bastion's coming in about eight minutes time so you can leave it to that but we're going to finish on this because this is the one Paul Laurie 10 shots back in the 1990 Open in Carnoustie um, yes he played well yes he had a great day but it's also more famous for poor El Jean van der Velde who tri- triple bogeyed the last and brought it to a playoff now this clip is about two, two to three minutes long but it's brilliant it's to the backdrop of under pressure by Queen but it's the brilliance of Peter Alice's commentary of the whole yeah, it's to- I was I was just looking. It's he had a five-shot yep. lead uh, over. Hold on, who was it? Uh, Justin Leonard. Yeah, Justin and, Leonard. He was in the playoff too. And Craig Perry. Yeah. So he had a five-shot lead. Yeah. And Laurie was ten, ten shots, shots back behind. Like Macro is only nine. You know, you never know. You just never know. But anyway, this is more unfortunately Jean Van de Velde. But as I said, it's brilliant because Peter Alice's commentary is fantastic. He's really, he's almost like a psychiatrist telling him to get off the ledge, if you know what I mean, for some of the madness. But he was being typically French, you know, he went for it. So is, what, is, what, is the, what is the clip? Is the it's, clip it's, of, it's the 18th hole, the yeah, famous, where hole. he just, he triple bogeys it. He's gone. He's three shots clear. He's, he's, he's home and hosed and puts a drive in the rough, but then slices it, hits the stand, goes back this way, back into the rough, hits the rough, into the burn, then he goes into the burn and thinks about taking the shot and it's about four, about five or six inches of water. It's not going to happen. And Peter Alice is proper. And there's a big lip on that. Ah, never going to happen. It's, and pro- it's probably about a five yeah. foot drop. And then there's a little, uh, and then there's a little snippet from Van de Velde a couple of years later afterwards. But uh, this is clever. But uh, after that, we're going to go to a break and then we're going to come back with Back in Time. Enjoy. He's out with a driver now. Now, I'm not sure this is right. Rascal, the greatest prize in golf is waiting to be plucked. And all I've got to do is get it up the fairway. I don't believe this. Well, what is going on here? I think really, if anybody needs an advisor, he does. At this, at this moment, this, this is really. His golfing brain stopped about 10 minutes ago, I think. I don't believe it. This is... This is so, 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 so sad. And so unnecessary. Oh, John, John, John. He's surely not going to go and climb down in there and try to whack it out of there. No, no, that would be, that would be, that would be totally ridiculous. No, what are you doing? What on earth are you doing? No, Jean, please, would somebody kindly go and stop him? Give him a large brandy and mop him down. No, this, this really is beyond a joke now. He's, he's, he's gone gaga because this is, uh, this is quite... I've never seen anything like it before. To attempt to hit the ball out of there is pure madness. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I can't believe this. Cannot believe this. 
this goes in, I'm gonna I'm gonna pack it in. I'm gonna retire if he holds this. Please give him one good putt. Please. to remember putting in perspective it's a game it's a game all right it's not you know it's not like uh, life and death or, or whatever you know it's it's your name down on the trophy and we, we all going for that and we all want one it's very very hard but uh, but at the end of the day you know who will remember in 200 years I have nothing to be to be sad about okay the, the ending fine you know who will want an ending like this but at, at the end of the day what has Carlusti brought me and and that's really you know in life you, you have a, a glass in front of you hopefully it's a glass of red wine for me and is, is it half empty or is it half full you know especially if you drank the first half what have you got to be sad about you're listening to Liffy Sound, www.liffysoundfm.ie. Listen online, community radio at its best. Yes, sorry, I hope no one heard me singing there. <laughs> anyway, yes, it's 2014 we're going, and the link basically is, obviously, with Jean Van de Velle was on there a few minutes ago for, if for Rory McIlroy or somebody like Paul Laurie, uh, back in the day, you needed to win, you needed somebody to slip up, so I decided to go with 2014 for obvious reasons, because there was a famous slip in that year, wasn't it, my good sir? Yeah, it was... Um, and that's all we have for that. Well, let's move on. We'll go into this. <laughs> no, no, it's um, all right. We're finished now. It, it, in fairness, uh, for the Premiership, it was, a, it was a good year for the Premiership. Because oh, yeah, great drama. You, you do want other teams in there and you do want other teams challenging. Uh, sometimes you don't really want Liverpool challenging. <laughs> but no, in fairness, they were challenging. They were playing excellent. Suarez was on fire. Yeah, Sturridge yeah. was on fire, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, the two of them were. So the two friendship. of them were, were absolutely excellent. They were kind of the team to watch. If for the neutral, they were the team to... To, I don't know you when Arsenal play but oh yeah I'm going to watch Arsenal play go for, it was kind yeah. of it was that way you know uh, and for it to come down to it's not really come down to but uh, yeah. uh, people are pointing out that Ger- of course. Gerard slip yeah. cost them the league when in, when, <laughs> when in fairness then they had a, they had a, a game the week after or midweek yeah. was it three all against Palace Palace yeah that killed them yeah that was the final oh, of course it was. In the coffin. I mean the Chelsea won yeah, fair enough. I mean, stuff happened. But yeah. if you're to add up everything that Stephen Gerrard did in the year compared to what he, he the mistake that he did. Yeah, of course. Know, but to moment. be honest, about the Chelsea game, um, it kind of, do you know when Spurs blew up against Chelsea a couple of years ago? It kind of showed, yeah, they're not ready. In a weird way, the Chelsea game kind of showed that Liverpool weren't quite ready because Chelsea had no interest in winning that game and a draw was enough. Yeah. They had no interest. And in that second half they did press the kind of panic button a little bit too much near the end and I was kind of like lads they have no interest just be patient blah, blah. like keep the cool heads you it know, was just it packed just, the bus wasn't it yeah and it, he had no interest and it was obvious but they were ready for the scraps and of course they were and they took two good goals but it, it kind of showed yeah they're having a great year but a bit like as I said Spurs kind of blowing up against Chelsea that time to kind of go yeah, yeah they're not there yet I think the uh, isn't that really where the, the, the park the bus thing came from from that game. Yeah, now I know Mourinho said 
quoted that before when he was first at Chelsea somebody came and did something and he, he said to bike the bus but he took it to he a new level it. that day but he yeah. got the win Yeah, he yeah. got the win he's French now is he <laughs> See, I can't help but do a Russian accent for Portuguese. They sound Russian. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, people of Russian. That's Kazakhstan. I'm French. Yeah, you know. Um, I like you. They uh, no, but listen. I, I think Mourinho got his, I suppose, tactics right. Yeah, he, he knew that if they, he went gung ho against Liverpool, Liverpool were going to beat them. So uh, he probably did the right thing there. And you know, unfortunately for oh, yeah. Liverpool just at the moment that they needed to uh-huh. push on yeah like, and he literally away. and he was made eat his words as well because he literally said it two weeks before that against Man City right from now like let's not let this slip and literally that's what he did and of course if you go to check out YouTube clips I couldn't find and it wasn't because I wasn't trying I couldn't find the actual commentary because all it was was parody and comic yeah. clips yeah. of him giving it the let's not slip and then they kind of go to sad music and show him like slipping and Demba back comes in and I wouldn't mind like I've seen the, the let's not slip bit he's, he's in tears yeah and he's wiping away the tears because he knows that game is massive that's his kind of oh my god it's we're in it now and half of me is like did they did he think that was the day did he think that was it I'd why say, get emotional or was it just well I'd say it was, it was a mad day anyway for them to get the result because so many people talk about it now it's hard not to think well it probably was the day you know for yeah. him psychologically he's probably thinking that that was his chance, you yeah. know. Right there. I yeah. would say, say for a professional footballer uh, like Stephen Gerrard, who's dedicated to a club, you know, he got the Champions League. So yeah. if he hadn't got the Champions League, that could have yeah. totally destroyed He could have really retired very happy with little or no regrets if that, yeah. that oh, year yeah. had gone his oh, way. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. And maybe that's why it hurts as much as it did. Because like, I found a clip last night at the beat with BT and they decided to lead with it. And I'd say he probably said, yeah, come on, ask me because I want to get rid of it. And it was very, yeah, yeah it was horrible. It was good. Move on. You know, there was little or nothing. But uh, yeah, that we're going to lead off uh, with our first song from 2014. I cannot believe this is three years old. Yeah, well, we're getting older very quickly. Mm, well, yeah. Anyway, this is Mark Ronson with Uptown Funk. All right, that was the midnight hour, Uptown Funk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, 2014 was another sad year if somebody decided to pack up their bags that year. Am I right, man? Yes, uh, Bod. Oh, Bod. The legend. A- oh, God. I don't think we realised what we had until yeah. we lost them. Yeah. yeah, that's why all our hopes are on ring rolls now, isn't it? Um, but it was uh, Paris in the springtime. This <laughs> uh, is the scene where Brian O'Driscoll announced himself on the in global stage with a remarkable hat-trick yeah. all those years ago. Um, Ireland beat France uh, 22 points to 20 to win. The, to win. Was that 2000? 2001? Was it? No, no, no. The, oh, sorry. The, oh, the year the, you retired. Yes. But, they, yeah, I don't know what year. It would have been 2001, yeah. I would say. That now, the hat-trick, yeah. They won four out of five in that Six Nations. Did they, did they win it that year? They, I think they won it, yeah. With a championship yeah. on the line, it was a fitting way for the centre to bow out on the international stage after an incredible performance from Ireland against the hosts who were clearly up for it. The French had a chance late on to spoil the party, but thankfully uh, butchered an overlap to give Bud the perfect send-off and uh, the championship. So, one Arguably of the- our true... One of our true greatest sportsmen, wouldn't he? Right. And it's, again, it's, it's only when you look back at, yeah. at, at how good he was. Yeah. 
and some of the tries that he scored that yeah we did we took i think we took him for granted now maybe maybe the the, the rugby elite yeah didn't take him as granted as uh you know us armchair fans yeah us armchair fans but uh yeah quality yeah. and and the good thing is is that we still have good quality coming through of course but we do. nothing on his level no and they're rare, as you, as you know. And even when you hear all some of these New Zealand greats saying just how good he was, and he was literally their go-to guy when they were saying who were the best around. And that, really, that, that for me says it all, just how good he was yeah. when they look at the same thing. The Winter Olympics this year uh, in Sochi and Russia were top of the table. But as it turns out now, they had a, a very interesting government state plan, <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to believe, isn't it? That yeah. The, the actual, the, the whole country, the whole sporting body yeah. would go about cheating on a mass yeah it scale. all came out apparently like it, they had the the doping testing centres there and they had a dummy wall down in the corner and one of the inside men uh, you know like the shoots that they have behind the cash registers in uh, in supermarkets yes where they when they have enough money in the tail they put it in the tube and send it on its way yeah they had something like that in the dummy wall and they put it in to this and it went into the dummy room they uh, gave, then gave him a clean sample and put it back and ah. whatever. But this is just a very quick one. Uh, there's a documentary coming up in first week in August called Icarus. And it's going to be on Netflix. And apparently this is the, it blows the lid on all of it. So has, has, <clears throat> has the information from that film been... I haven't looked has it too been much. Out? Yeah, basically it's, it's... What happened was, I haven't looked too much into it because I really want to enjoy it. But yeah. I, I had a quick look at it. Basically what happened was, it was a couple of American guys who started a documentary where they were going to dope and kind of test it and look at the advantage of it. And they were using a Russian guy who is, let's just say, a bit of an expert on it. And he was helping them out. And as he was helping them out, it was all starting to come out about the state sponsored. And slowly but surely, we're talking to him. They realized just how involved he was. And he was one of the top men in it. And then he decided to go, right, I'll work with you and I'll tell you it all. And the documentary completely changes. Right, but right. there's deaths, state, like assassinations, that oh, all really? sorts. If you look at the trailer, Icarus, I-C-A-R-U-S. And as I said, I haven't looked too much into it because I really want to enjoy it. But yeah, it's all about the, the tell-all uh, state-sponsored scandal. And it's been going on for years, the 2012 or 2014 yeah. Russian World Cup squad. Everyone's at it. And now they're going to host the World Cup? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who uh, said this world is corrupt? And speaking of World Cup, obviously uh, Germany done a job in Brazil that year. Well, they hammered them. Yeah, absolutely hammered them. It was a game where they knife through butter. Where every time they attacked, yeah. there was a goal. The biggest memory in that World Cup is the tunnel before that game. Yeah. Muller just looked so happy. It was like a dream come true and going out in America against Brazil. And this is stuff, and it was. It's a schoolboy stuff when you're lying there at night and. Oh, I'd love to play Brazil in the American and a final or beat England at Wembley and, that. and that's what his smile had and he just looked at home and of course they went out and absolutely destroyed him and I'm not messing if, if Scotland went out and played them <laughs> I think they would have beat them because they were just that poor yeah, at the, the back you think they froze or just, just they got found out for what they were yeah I think they yeah. were just that poor at the back they just weren't good because people were playing them in, in, in the World Cup and they were going yeah it's Brazil in Brazil you know we're up against it here but Germany don't have an inferior complex or infer, infer, inferiority no, complex no of an yeah. so they were straight in and, and, and just to it. finish off on that there's a group you know the, the ending of this but there's a group of Costa Rica Uruguay Italy and England how would you expect that group to really go usually Costa Rica Uruguay Italy and England uh, we didn't normally think it was Italy and England mm. wouldn't yeah. Costa Rica topped it with 7 points yeah and then Uruguay with 6 and the other 2 boys were gone on the plane home after 2 weeks that's unbelievable incredible <laughs> uh, just talking about Germany uh, it was the year that 
Ireland went away uh, to Germany and uh, when Roy Keane celebrates a draw of Wildly, you know, you've, it must have been quite something. Well, John O'Shea. The John O'Shea. I mean, the world champions, uh, they tied with Ireland for 70 minutes but had only one goal to show for the possession yeah. and John O'Shea in the dying moments. And do you remember... Special. Do you remember, I seen a clip and I was looking to see what Roy Keane, how did he celebrate? And they got an angle from the stand and... Roy Keane went absolutely yeah. ballistic running around the yeah. place, jumping, hugging people. And, and of course, O'Neill's probably doing his two-footed jump up in the yeah, air as usual. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that got me more excited about the Ireland team because yeah. you felt, hold on here. They're, they're up for it too. They're up for it It's too. not just a gig. They, 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 it means something to them yeah. as well. So. Like even after the famous Italy win, like that was pure joy between the two of them. And that was nice to see. And that's when you know, yeah, this isn't just for a nice handy payday. They, they're involved, you know. And they're under cover agent uh, Buffon <laughs> I've never seen a man look so happy and uh, just finally that was obviously the famous year when poor Elgar Brooks cancelled all them gigs but uh, that's another day we could spend a two hour special on that no we couldn't this is rubbish <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> anyway last song of 2014 this is Coldplay with Sky Full of Stars Okay, welcome back to Liffey Sound 96.4 FM. Uh, it's the big kickoff, uh, as if you didn't know. Of course, you're tuning in every week. Um, so t- tomorrow we're having our first uh, The Great Debate section. Uh, and we've had a bit of an interesting uh, response from people um, on our Facebook. And uh, a few people have shared it with us. And they've had a, an, an interesting response themselves. And it's a, it's, it's a hot topic. So... The question is, is the FAI's and Rude Doctors League of Ireland under 13, 15, 17 and 19 development plan or strategic plan going to save Irish football? Well, joining us in the studio today is uh, DDSL UT manager and Liverpool scout, Kieran Matheson. Uh, good morning, Kieran. Good morning, Roy. Um, Kieran, the FAI hired Rude Doctor as a high performance director to develop the quality uh, of our players, our clubs and, and, and the league. And one of the ideas he had uh, is installed the under 15, 17, 19 and will be a 13 league. And his thoughts kind of followed this. Uh, this is Rude Doctor. The collaborations between Schoolboy and League of Ireland clubs is crucial to the future of football in Ireland. The future for the League of Ireland is to have academies. It's a no-brainer to have an academy. We need a pathway for underage to the first team. The League of Ireland clubs can provide that. The under-19 and 17 leagues have been very successful. The natural step is to go on to 15s and it's best practice in every country. We need to start looking at the big picture. What are your thoughts on it, Kieran? Certainly, Good luck with that. Not at all, not at all. Good morning, all. Yeah, I suppose you, you've got to look at uh, the independence that Rude brought to the uh, equation. Uh, he, he was hired to do a job and he comes in with a European set of principles and views. And what he talks about and what is in his 10-point plan uh, is a European model that has worked. 
Um, I suppose, look, when you put an European model into an Irish environment, you, you, you do find different <laughs> sets of uh, uh, issues that you have in relation to implementing the type of change that he's trying to do. It, just going back before the plan, you had an environment where probably the, the Dublin District School by League teams, uh, the big teams were dominant in the school by world as we know it, and they were producing players that were coming through the system. And those players were going off to our, uh, England at 16, 17 and 18 years of age and trying to ply their trade in a very, very difficult environment. It was reasonably successful. We brought some lots of great players and those are the ones that come to mind lately are young Hendricks and young Brady from Kevins and so forth. But when you, you start looking at it, you, you, you see the problems that uh, kids have when they go across the water and the difficulties uh, for players to break through. So the, the model that was there was always going to be under threat. You, you look at the, the British and you look at the uh, Premier League as we know it, it's a massive industry. It's, it spends about 4.4 billion each year. And let's say, it's a, we used to call it uh, the English Premier League, but it's nearly become a world league because mm. it's, the most, with the mo it's a league with the most money and it has the most uh, financial power. So, so the problem is now is how do we get boys through the system that are good enough in one way to develop in that environment uh, to come through to play, which is our overall goal is to produce an international team that is competitive throughout the world. And that's what our overall goal is. Certainly, um, it's one of the goals that yeah, the FAI are focused on, but I suppose when you're in the grassroots football like yourself and myself, you're trying to look at player involvement, you're trying to look at uh, not only pathways, but just getting kids and parents involved in a good environment where they take part and they exercise and they enjoy the game as we know it. And the plan that Dr. Rood uh, introduced covered an awful lot of, of that. Now, I suppose the highlight is, or the, the main focus point that people are talking about is about well, will the League of Ireland be able to surpass what has been done by the DDS, the powerful DDS clubs of the, of the past uh, and the problem will always will be can the League of Ireland clubs finance such a change and uh, build up uh, let me say a set of academies that are competitive to what, we, what was previously there and it is a big, big question, you know. Uh, you look at the financial difficulty that some of the clubs in the League of Ireland have experienced. It does bring, uh, how, let me say, that process uh, into question. Can the likes of Bray, uh, uh, the club mm -hmm. that probably uh, everybody's, uh, to everybody's tongue, uh, can they fund correctly what St. Joseph boys have been doing out in that area, uh, the development from 13s, 15s, 17s and 19s, can they do it? Can the likes of Pats do it? Now, we're seeing successes uh, with the likes of uh, Shamrock Rovers. Uh, it's fair to say uh, young Bradley up there is, and all uh, the, the coaches are, and the setup and let me say, the financial structure to put in place. You can see that they've got it right. But the, the problem for us all, well, we have the volume of clubs that can actually produce uh, the facilities and the coaching staff to, to, to deliver the overall plan. Yeah. When you look at Rovers, uh, because Rovers have the resources, they have uh, experience uh, behind them with MacPhail, Duff and, and Bradley who have been in those sort of academy uh, scenarios yeah. over in England. Uh, they also have an, an owner whose brief when he started with the club was to build on new development and Roadstone obviously is a huge investment. Yeah. But they had started this even before uh, Rude Doctor came in. So they have a head start ahead of everyone else. But how confident are we that these academies are, are going to be 
like if you talk about Bray and you talk about you know Athlone Town and, and, and any of the clubs Cabin Teeley how confident are we that these academies are being run at a level you know that's needed well I suppose look if you, if you keep it simple um, when the likes of the, the big DDSL clubs were, are at their fore all the work was done by volunteers uh, and people used to go out and they would give time and energy and enthusiasm and it brings to mind, uh, for instance, the, the other hot topic would be the involvement of St. Kevin's. But if you go to St. Kevin's now at Easter and uh, they have their, their uh, international tournament, that tournament is run second to none. And uh, it's run by, uh, I would say, 50 to 100 volunteers. And those volunteers put their heart and soul into their community club uh, and generate uh, a product that is actually second to none. Uh, so you, you will... And that, if you were to try to pay for something like that and, and have the best of coaches and have all the finance available, it becomes a very, very, very uh, heavy financial burden in any club. And you just wonder, uh, is that a gap in the overall uh, proposal? Certainly in Europe, you can see clubs uh, with this model. Yes, it works because they have properly funded uh, uh, finance structures. They will have large numbers of attendances. They have a good model, and would have would have very very strong television rights and so forth. And then when you look at what we have here, it's difficult to see can we generate the money uh, to fund such a proposal uh, without the numerous or the number of volunteers that we have presently today. Yeah, because uh, with the, the the League of Ireland, a lot of League of Ireland clubs. You know, they're they're hand to mouth. They're struggling mm. with with their finances. You know, they're trying to probably meet and uh, meet at the end of a month. So to put the extra burden, which uh, is 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 not a, an unreasonable question, to put an, a, an extra burden of nineteen, seventeens, fifteens, uh, and, and 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 possibly thirteens, um, it's going to definitely stretch these clubs. So, um, is is a viable that this can work without the FAI's help financial help because because all they get is 5,000 grants every year at the moment and what does that, that keeps their head above water I think you know <laughs> be, be, barely not really. barely you know it, it's just a, a little top up so um, you know without the FAI's help uh, our, our club's going to struggle uh, without doubt um, the, we see even today um, well, the struggle that clubs are experiencing. Uh, we, t um, if you look at the level of pay that some senior clubs afford their players, it's just not sustainable. Now we do have uh, different scenarios. You, you see the, the Dundalk success of last year, where they've built a very powerful, strong squad in an Irish environment with a very positive League of Ireland manager, Stephen Kenny. He has a very fit and strong group of players and he went forward and has competed in Europe and has been very, very successful. That model has generated a considerable amount of money that he's reinvested in his team and trying to reinvest in his club. Uh, you can see that working. And you, as you mentioned, the Rovers scenario where there was a, a positive benefactor. Uh, there's just not enough money in the country to, to, to keep every club afloat and the FEI just simply do not have the, the cash flows to, to do such a thing. You've got to look at the bigger picture here. We've just come out of an economic recession. Uh, the FAI have, have struggled with the whole of issue of Aviva. They've done a really, really good job there. And you'd see what they've done also with the National Centre over in Abbottstown. 
uh, and you were starting to see the benefits. But that took an awful lot of uh, f- funds uh, to drive that forward. You also see on the ground the changes that we've experienced. We see that one of the policies uh, of Dr. Root's proposal was to move to uh, summer football. And we're starting to see the benefits of that. It's hard uh, to get us all organized. However, we're all moving in that direction. You see the proliferation of uh, artificial pitches. Uh, You see the funding that's required. You even see the whole concept of Friday night football under floodlights. Uh, Fifteen years ago, we would not have seen that. We would not have believed that would have been practical uh, here. So uh, the plan itself covers many different uh, facets. Uh, but it does raise the question if you're going to give the interior the responsibility of producing the pathway for elite players and hand it to the League of Ireland clubs, there's certainly, let me say, risks associated with that. Uh, and that's something that we do have to consider. Finance is one. But another one is that the top clubs, uh, school by clubs, had an awful lot of experience in, in dealing with uh, parents and children and ensuring that children were looked after as best they could that that experience has to be grown within the, the League of Ireland clubs and that'll be a challenge for them. Yeah, I suppose. Like, I know I looked at the financials uh, Delaney came out now at the moment that if Ireland were to qualify for the World Cup next year, they could practically clear the debt for the Aviva. Mm-hmm. Would that potentially help in getting a basic... Because, let's face it, it, it sounds like a lovely theory and it's a nice idea and everything looks lovely and is, is this the FAI maybe... Ah, look, we're trying, but geez, don't ask us to give us any money. Is potentially Ireland qualifying in the World Cup going to maybe loosen the poor strings a bit and they can really get this going? Because in theory, it is a fantastic potential opportunity and it needs to be a national elite level and not just Dublin elite level, which is what it is at the moment. Very heavily based on that. Eventually, it, like you can't just rely on a couple of players making it down, around the country and getting a few bob of getting them over there and that's the financial. Is that is that the hope of the FAI short term and then maybe help them long term? Or because you can't just co- come out with this and then not have a, a second page with financials on it without helping. And is there much? Um, the, the scale of what's required yeah. in relation to support facilities is, is, is it's a 10 year gig. Mm. Uh, you, you, even if you go to Rollstone today and they go up to, to Rovers, they will honestly say that there, there's different phases to their plan. And uh, you won't see uh, uh, the final product that may eventually on three to five years. Now, if we again focus on what Rovers have done, that they've they've put up and set up a, what I call a, a top level coaching structures, and uh, you, you can see that it's going to take a, a considerable amount of funds to to maintain that going forward. And it's it's good to see that model, but I just don't know. Uh, heart and heart can I see the likes of Bowes or Pats mm. uh, drifting into that uh, in the same gusto yes they will try you, you see Ger O'Brien at St Pats doing a great job working hard to try and recruit players for his under 15s and so forth and, and there's so many of these lads doing their utmost but without structures in place in relation to finance facilities you, you can see you can see a long, hard, bumpy road, and it'll take a, a considerable amount of time before we really produce players that uh, we believe reflect the overall standard in the country. Yeah, I think just before we go off the FAI's financial, mm. um, I suppose, 
requirements really mm. if they want to ha- to push this on I mean the prize money for League of Ireland to win the league <laughs> is pitiful and uh, so they have a plan they want to build the FAI the, the, the arena so you have yeah. uh, the Aviva there they want to get the, the, the national mm. or the debt down on that to zero by 2021 or something like that yeah. but they're neglecting they're putting a, a, a I suppose they're putting something together, but they're not really willing to fund it. They're not really yeah. willing to uh, back it up. It's kind of on your doorstep. You deal with it and we'll come back to you when we've funded our stadium. Yeah. Uh, if prize money is for the winner, 110,000, mm. which Dundalk received. Oh, I went up 10 grand. Didn't it? Yeah. And, and they received, I think it was nearly 2 million in prize money from the European <laughs> adventures, you know, so plus, but, it's not really going to benefit anyone uh, that money mm. so they're really struggling uh, it's, it's fine for Dundalk they have that little bit of something there it's fine for Shamrock Rovers they have someone mm. nice there but there's a lot of clubs just struggling so I, I, I don't see where that's going to uh, it's going to change between now and 2021 for a lot of the teams where the Rovers now will benefit because they have, have, have that so time. are the League of Ireland clubs really going to have to lean on their schoolboy partnership for the short term Without doubt, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how that partnership would have worked and will work going forward. But I suppose you've got to see the stance that St. Kevin's have taken. Um, St. Kevin's taken a particular position where, yes, they're saying publicly that they would like to align with St. Bo- Bohemians. But mm. even yesterday, Fran Gavin from the FEI was, uh, let me say, uh, let me say, alluding to the simple fact that those negotiations would have to be finished before um, Kevin's could enter the league. But you, you, you see the difficulties of, of a club like St. Kevin's saying, given over their, their existing coaching structures to, other, to another club, you can see the problems there. Uh, they would say they've a tried and trusted model. They've just recently won four national competitions uh, up on Wayside. And they were, were under the dominant uh, team and club uh, in Irish football and school by level. Uh, it's hard to see them suddenly saying, well, I'm going to give it all up. Mm. Uh, that structures that has worked extremely well to and another club, a League of Ireland club, mm-hmm. well, let's call it a spade a spade, wouldn't have the experience, the knowledge and the level of volunteers that, that uh, Kevin's can actually throw at it. Uh, so that's a challenge and you can see that being an issue going forward. Uh, the problem is now for the FEI, obviously, with uh, the fact that they have uh, tentatively accepted and uh, advertised that the Kevins will be in, uh, taking part in the under-15s league, is all the other DDSL clubs to, uh, are watching very, very closely. Their noses are a joint. Uh, noses is certainly a joint, and uh, they're certainly looking at uh, their position. Uh, they believe they were went into a competition or an opportunity to uh, align themselves with different clubs. Uh, League of Ireland clubs and all of a sudden the, the, the ground rules have changed uh, as, it, as it appears to them. Uh, so that's going to be a challenge and that has the potential to, to derail, uh, let me say, a progressive uh, start to the, 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 the August first game. So, so you can see that being a challenge. Is that, sorry, Karen, is that, is that a worry though? Because they have such a, a plan in, in place uh, Rude Doctor's put the plan together. He's had such a plan that we're going to develop the League of Ireland side. We're going to make sure that they all have their academies. It's going to help everything. And then they decide, Kevin's can go in your own. And does that not, does that not make a, 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 a little bit of a farce of it all? Well, <laughs> it's an Irish challenge. Uh, <laughs> we have a set of rules. Uh, however, we, we do have a particular circumstances where 
the St. Kevin's clubs uh, and the brand and what they've done uh, in the last five to ten years uh, in relation to player uh, development. Uh, the bigger DDSL clubs would say, well, we had our turn, the Cherry mm. Orchards, the Belvedere's. Uh, it just happens to be it's Kevin's turn. I'm thinking also of St. Joseph's, who've been very, very strong and have, have done really well in relation to uh, the national competitions. You can see individuals like those clubs saying, hold on, this is a, a tad unfair. Uh, and you can see challenges ahead. But I've no doubt, I've no doubt with an Irish problem, we'll find an Irish solution. <laughs> and, um, More roundabouts. <laughs> and again, and I think it's important, we, if you look at the overall Dr. Rule plan, there's 10 key elements to it. And you can see one of them is obviously elite development or the pathway for top players to come through. But uh, on, a, on a very personal basis, so I'm very keen to see just uh, participation. Uh, we want more people, more kids playing. And you can see, you can see the development of one areas of the plan in relation to women's football. Uh, in our own club, Roy, you'd recognise that. Uh, Luke and I have come very strong in the, in the women's yeah. uh, section. Yep. And it's absolutely brilliant to see the competition. I was up there, we were a couple of weeks ago, we were in the final and uh, our under-16s and we had two or three Irish internationals playing for our, our club. And, and to see that just generate over the last number of years into a, uh, the standard, was, it took my breath away. I was really, really pleased uh, watching the standard and how it's developed. So that part of the plan, let's say, has really come good. And I suppose uh, if you look at the other key part of the doctor's plan was the whole, the, let's say, development of players. And we see the introduction of five-a-sides, uh, what I call street football for the small-sided game. And, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's fantastic now to go to a seven-, eight-, nine-year-old uh, matches and you go up and everybody is well-structured behind the pen, the parents are in the right <laughs> place, the children are well-gated out. Uh, no referee and you know these are these are good elements that uh, people don't really talk about they might say well it's non-competitive but we know, you know it's absolutely competitive oh, score. we don't do scores <laughs> man, <laughs> we, we lost 20 to 42 <laughs> it's so intense and was, there's no league tables of course there's a league table <laughs> but, but the, the kids the, and those who were looking after it would genuinely say well what, 10 years ago we had a kind of a 7 aside 9 aside it was on a small pitch but now the structure you, you see the, the you see the progress you definitely see progress and the plan is you know in place since 2015 it's two good years and uh, there's a lot of things that have happened that have worked well uh, that uh, people probably uh, should reflect on okay yeah. well we, we've had a little discussion on a few other things we'll come back maybe and talk about maybe where the plan might not have worked okay so. Broadcasting to Lucan, this is Liffy Sound, 96.4 FM. That's it, we are back, Liffy Sounds at 96.4. We have Kieran here with our great debate in the League of Ireland National League level back at under 15. We just alluded to there in the break, 17s and 19s have been around for a few years. Not really big of an issue. As soon as it hits under 15, everyone has a problem. Do tell, why is that? Let's face it. I suppose... Uh, the, the, yeah. You've got to understand the makeup of uh, the funding of school by football in Ireland. All the big clubs and the, the big DDSL clubs uh, would have produced players. And uh, players, when you go to uh, the English league or any league, there is uh, your way for compensation or player compensation. So between 13 and uh, 16, those four years, uh, there is an, an amount paid to a club for, for the 
the coaching and development of a, a young player mm. by the receiving club. Now that can turn into a, a, a considerable sums and there's such things as add-ons and if a player plays in the first team for a club, there's payments and there's if a, a player is sold on, uh, there's a percentage in some cases and some mm. agreements. So that money is being flown into those uh, Dublin clubs and in, uh, quite considerable sums. And uh, the FEI obviously would see that and they would see that revenue stream and they would uh, they would like it to, to, to flow into the National League. And, and there's, there's definitely, definitely logic to that. Uh, so you, that is potentially a bone of contention. So mm. one day uh, you had a situation where Belvedere's and the, the, the home farms ha- had control of this, this, this revenue stream and all those other big clubs. And uh, now that revenue stream has been taken away. So that's where the tension of no doubt no has, has generated the debate. They with with um, St. Kevin's, just on that, because it, that's kind of, uh, you know, sticking the spoke of the wheel. Uh, with St. Kevin's not reaching an agreement with a League of Ireland team, it, like, is that a sign that they're, they're not really in it together with Root Doctor's vision and no, the, the tree will fall if the roots beneath them are not strong enough? Um, what, what do you think? Do you think that, uh, in your opinion, do you feel that the schoolboy leagues should step aside do you feel that they have every right to go in off their own back what, what's your thoughts on that here? I, I suppose look uh, I've been involved in the DDSL now and uh, in the sense of uh, managing football teams for nearly uh, 30 years uh, and you, you see the good side of it uh, first of all the geographical f- factor uh, first and the population spread in this country is based around the Dublin region and uh, so uh, I had the experience of uh, playing and uh, managing within the league and the, the, nobody uh, and no league in, in Europe could compare to uh, what was going on in relation to standards achieved at the top premier leagues uh, at 13th, 14th, 15th and 16th in the DDSL uh, the, the, these are simple facts the games between Jerry Orchard and Belvedere and Belvedere and uh, Home Farm, all all over the years, the standard there was uh, extremely, extremely high. And you notice when the DDSL go away in tours, uh, they would dominate. Uh, They would go uh, on 13s, 14s and 15s, uh, even younger. They would dominate uh, any competition they had entered into. You look at their dominance in relation to the Kennedy Cup, the National Kennedy Cup, um, when uh, they see when 32 leagues come together and the, Ken- the Dublin Dieters uh, League have won that I think in the last 10, 12, 13, 14 years only and they've lost once I think I remember uh, to the NDSL uh, in that period so, so the DDSL brand and what they have been doing and the players that they were producing uh, it was working uh, and uh, it, those, that scenario and um, what has been achieved and the proposed changed uh, is something that is unclear. So back to St. Kevin's. Uh, St. Kevin's uh, have said that they're in discussions with St. Bowl, with Bohemians. And, uh, They've said it, though. Is it Stalin tactics? Uh, I, I'd say they're genuinely uh, in discussions uh, with Bohemians, but I'd say there's, there is issues. And I go back to the key issue for them is the, is the fact that they have been producing players their way and to, to give it up or potentially give it up is uh, to, to, to Bowes. 
is a is the problem is definitely the sticking problem and it's it's quite obvious to me yes they can arrangements can be made in there about player compensation all those things can be actually dealt with reasonably well uh however uh, i i think that the simple fact that and uh, the club like st kevin's know what they're doing know how to produce the players and are, are very anxious to give up that let me say the ability that they hold today so you feel they should be in their own right be allowed in 15s on their own back i would i believe that uh, you know in, in any competition the best and the strongest should come true and i do believe if other clubs can uh, produce players similar to what kevin's have been doing there should be a pathway for those clubs so at the moment we, we were kind of the, the structure where there's 24 teams and uh, uh, 24 clubs, uh, teams in the under 15 section, and uh, I believe it will be very appropriate if, if teams that weren't in that could aspire, could grow their facilities, could have ambition, could have a goal that they could also get into the what I would refer or join the table and uh, the high table and and uh, take part in, in such a, a competition up to 15s or including 17s you know, and I, 19s i think yeah i would move genuinely on if teams could produce the facilities get their licenses in order and so forth with their coaching it would give it give uh, it, it should go all the way to 70s and 19s and where i'm bringing where that's coming from in my mind is uh, clubs have c- c- come from communities and you look at the gaa model and the GAA uh, have been so successful because they have broad inclusion and participation. Uh, and if you're in a carrier in any part of the country and you have a small town, you can aspire to the club championship to get uh, to, on St. Patrick's Day to the, the overall club championship final. And that aspiration, that challenge motivates people in the localities to develop and uh, with ambition and uh, with dreams, people can do many, many different things. And I do think that's potentially a gap in the plan. So if you're a DDSL club, you feel that you're one of the stronger clubs. And it's not all the DDSL clubs, by the way. It's many other clubs around the country. Uh, let's not be parochial about it. We have very strong clubs throughout the length and breadth uh, of the country are now feeling oh where our pathway has now been mm. blocked we're not going to get an opportunity to to, to meet and play and, com- and compete against the best in this country uh, and that i think that's a drawback and is is that something to draw on like as in it's including the rest of the country and would the rest of the country be a bit more open to this because it gives them a clearer pathway instead of dublin having the monopoly on it i.e your cork cities and everyone else and then potentially some of these league selections that are coming in to spread it across the like at the end of the day there should be a national elite level proper true and or a national elite level and i understand the whole local community thing but in the long run would it not be this is a pathway to a potential career at home if it doesn't make it over there because when you come home at 18 19 you're not exactly Jesus, i want to go back to my local team and earn nothing well if i go back and play on the 19th for your rovers and bowls or whatever there's a chance of earning a few quid and go back across as so many are going over 23 and 24 now at the League of Ireland stage without doubt uh, that would be the ambition of uh, of some I, I I kind of in my mind I'm referring to an article in the Irish Times there of March 2016 written by a man called Graham Barrett who is again working well up on Rovers uh, where he talks about the culture and the challenges for, for young players coming back uh, but uh, it talks about the whole professional ethos uh, uh, of what clubs uh, need to aspire to to bring players through. But 
you know, money is not everything in the sense mm. that it is a key part when a young lad comes back, how is he going to fund his training and so forth. But I don't believe it's beyond the local clubs to support and rekindle young lads uh, to get their mind focused. Because when boys come back, there's a, there's a, there's a requirement to, let me say, repair uh, the time spent in, in these large academies and across in England. And there's nobody better placed than people at home to do that. So there's a balance. There's a balance. Yes, yeah. You, you're saying that. Well, you have to go. Potentially, have to go to a professional club mm. to, to to get paid and uh, to develop your football. I, I'm not sure of that model. I genuinely uh, have seen players come back and haven't been ready for League of Ireland football and struggle and been disillusioned. And if we improve and genuinely improve the model. Uh, and the facilities in the local environments, you can get kids back on the track much more quicker. Yeah. And that's something that we have to consider. We've had a few comments. We've had a few text messages. Uh, everyone has their opinion on, on the matter. Um, be much better idea to look for an under-23 league. Senior League of Ireland teams have no platform to play reserves, so they step up from 19s, then they have nowhere to go. Uh, the under-13 level... Um, people are talking about tagging an under 13 child with an elite title mercilessly creates massive psychological problems further down the line um, there is certain things that the model probably could gain uh, from to improve it definitely there? definitely and I suppose the first point you made there in relation to 23s uh, that's, that's been introduced in, uh, in, the, in England the last uh, two mm. seasons I think two seasons moved it from 21 to 23 because they recognise that the average uh, age of an individual starting in the Premier is moving up to 21, 22 years of age. And yeah, how do you bridge the gap between 19 and to, to, uh, and that 22? So they've looked at it and they've, they've just quickly moved uh, from a 21 league to a 23 league and in theory yeah, allows or provides players who have pathways and uh, two more years of uh, professional development. Uh, yes, that would work. Uh, and yes, that would en enhance the product because it is. It's uh, when kids come back from uh, England and so forth, they're, they're joining a man's game. Uh, if they join the national league, and it's uh, it's because it's a man's league, it has that level of a physical intensity that young players coming back don't simply have. So then they suddenly find themselves trying to play 19s football, and very quickly they're 20, and all of a sudden they're not big enough, strong enough, fit enough to play in the league of Ireland. And all of a sudden their enthusiasm and energy and focus is gone, and we're losing all these players. And that's something that we need to address, and, and pushing the 23 model would certainly help. Uh, the second question in relation to classifying children, um, I'm, obviously I spend some time scouting because I, I scout for Liverpool FC and I'm watching players at all levels all of the times. And it's a real problem uh, when players believe they're, being, they're suddenly elite mm. at a young tender age. Uh, not only do they get confused, but their parents get confused. So you, 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 members of the Scouting Association, where we would talk privately and we would say, look, it, it's very important that you try and uh, keep all this away from kids. In other words, yes, they might be seen as a, a good player and they might be defined as an elite player, but you certainly wouldn't uh, tell them that because at 13 years of age, unfortunately, you're only starting and the players at 15 are different and the, the elite players at 17 are different. And what we've learned in producing players, and I think maybe young Jeff Hendricks is one, where it's about those who come late and keep at it and have that will to win. 
and uh, you might be the best boy at 13 years of age because of your maturation cycle, your strength, power, but that may not be the same way when it comes to 15s and 17s. Potentially, like on paper, would that not help now the fact that there will be a national elite level that the schoolboy clubs can be a bit more inclusive and more centred on participation and that the ambition is to try and make it in Ireland and the English pressure is taken off slightly yeah, well, you, in, in paper further down the line is that going to be I the potential for this and that's why it should, work, should and could work it's, I think it's a must uh, if, you, if you stand back and look at where we are and if, if I was to ask any of how many Irish players are playing in the Premiership uh, yeah. in the East League it's, I think it's the lowest since the Bosman rule in 1995 um, uh, if, you, if I was to ask anybody what Irish boys are coming through elite academies in Britain mm. uh, and uh, we could just uh, name them on a, on a handful yep. And you can see, uh, going back to my own experience of what I referred to the 1998s when we, Luke and I were, were competitive at the, the national level uh, that year, um, uh, we, 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 um, we had a lot of good players uh, and there was proliferation of good players at that age group. But regrettably, even with what I would refer the best of the best we've had are struggling uh, to, to, to bridge the gap between 18, 19 and 20 years of age. And regrettably, so many of these boys are coming home. So we have to, have to get the National League right. Uh, but again, and I think there's one thing you mentioned, and I think it's important to understand it. If we make this change and we push along, uh, where will the DDSL or where will all these powerful clubs be? Mm. Like, yeah, I do talk privately to some of these clubs and without, let me say, the player compensation, they, they just see demise, they see the end. Yeah. So all of a sudden you could be left with an elite level and who's going to run all the academies in the local communities? Well, who will fund those facilities? Mm. And that's the challenge. So, you know, whereas I would have competed against Jerry Orchard, Belvedere, blah, 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 and sometimes you'd see them as... As uh, the competitor rivals, rivals, nicely. <laughs> so, uh, you, you, we do need them, and yeah, th- we need them producing players to get to under thirteen, because uh, well, that's that's the question I was going to come on to, Karen. Uh It's actually the next question I was going to come on to because uh, first of all, there is no. Uh, I think they've ba- barely touched on it. Uh, the development of players. Everyone knows, it's common knowledge, everyone knows that between the age of eight or maybe even seven to 12 years of age is your foundations of your football and skills, your technical ability. You learn so much more then and uh, obviously then it goes on to more tactical uh, awareness as as you get older. So what the FBI are basically saying is uh, our DDSL, our clubs around uh, Ireland should develop the players from 8 to 12 and then the League of Ireland clubs uh, should be allowed to come along and take your players for nothing, even though you've put money into developing all these players. That can't be right, can it? Uh, again, it's a challenge. Um, uh, how will it work? Is it a challenge or is it just not really caring? Do they not really care what happens? to it's, it's, They're definitely going down the League of Ireland route and that's all that matters. When, we, when I've gone over to England, I've seen... Uh, little trips from our teams going across and they would play their local teams over there and we would win hands down Irish teams would win hands yeah. down because their local teams are diluted badly Yeah. now is that just the way it's going to be is that what they're looking at we don't really care too much about these teams we want for the good of the game FAI uh, League of Ireland teams are all that matters 
No, well, look, not to defend the FEI, I'm not, I'm not here to do that, but it's, you look at what they're trying to do, is it's an overall strategy. Uh, and the, the issue, the biggest issue today at this moment in time is that we have to have uh, a home-based league that will care and provide for player development. And you have to do it at some level. And the issue for the League of Ireland uh, and the clubs and so forth is, yes, they want to do it at 13s, 15s, 17s and 19s because you can grow the elite players. The problem is then what's going to happen all the rest. Uh, and that's a challenge that I, don't, I, don't, I do not believe uh, has been thought through. No. Uh, I do not believe um, we, because we are, it's such a variable. We're, we really are unsure. Will the likes of the big clubs that are left, and even all the community-based clubs, will they just how will they react to all this? And there's another food thought process is going on because beside the, the, the big clubs and the DDSL, there's 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 ten thousand uh, children playing for other clubs, yeah. and we refer to them as community clubs. Are they going to be affected by these changes? I don't think that they will have uh, be influenced in many different ways, except. The standard, uh, you know, if you're a community-based club, and let's call it spade a spade, if we're Luke United, we were always referred to as a community-based club. Uh, our aspiration was to get into the DDSL, to compete at the top level, Premier League, uh, and, and produce players. And we, and we, because we had that opportunity, because we had that pathway, we had a drive and energy, and we, and we were successful in doing that, and we're continuing to be successful to do that. So, so all of a sudden, and I go back to this other point, you take that away, what will that do to the clubs? And will uh, what's left behind the community-based clubs? Will they have the ability to produce the players that will the, can be cherry-picked by the the, the national league clubs on the thirteen? To be honest, uh, I think that's a real, real challenge, uh, and I'm not sure whether we could be accused of show, throwing the baby out with the bathwater in this in, in this occasion. But the FEI would say, well, look, we have to move along, and we have to get the league right. Uh, and I support that. I do support that. But this is a problem, and without a pathway for clubs, I think it's it's going like to be like taking the politics, the finance, all the rigmarole out of it. Like just a pure theoretic. Deep down, this mm. should and it's essential, and it needs to happen. Really deep down, without the political Definitely. side of the school boys. It, it, it in does. the long term, for the national team, not just the national league, everything. Yeah, definitely, definitely. We, we need to grow the league and uh, we need this proposal and strategy to work. Um, what are, people are saying that we should grow the strategy uh, and look at different aspects of it. And I, and I do support that as well. Uh, uh, but for, for the national, for, for everyone, for national football, for our international team, which is probably uh, the barometer of what we do in this country, we are desperate uh, to improve the pathway. And we need to do it outside, uh, and I say the premierships uh, in England, because as They're I said, it, they will not do us. Uh, they will not support our, our position. <laughs> okay. Let's call it like that. Well, I think you, you need to be careful not to slit your own throat and uh, get rid of uh, the schoolboy yeah. aspect because they they are the fundamentals. That's where they go. They don't go to the League of Ireland clubs straight away to, to develop. They go to the schoolboy clubs. There is there is some uh, when you look at. Uh, the plan there is obviously there's some cracks in it now it's whether the FAI are going to be stubborn and agree not to you know not to agree and all that sort of stuff when you think of stuff like the introduced uniform style of play coaching style in order to develop skillful and creative players they have an attacking style to get people to play out from the back that's all 
very well and fine. They have other stuff like our philosophy sees a 4-3-3 system of play, the best uh, format in which to develop young players within this formation. Roles can be clearly outlined and there's a greater uh, set of opinion or options for passing, ball retention and all. Now, that I've never heard so much nonsense in my life <laughs> because to say 4-3-3 is better than 4-4-2, to say it's better than 4-5-1, what is 4-5-1? What is 4-3-3? It's all based on where you are on the pitch anyhow. So it, there is things in it that is absolute rubbish and this was set when 433 was in uh, was a Involved, fad at the yeah. time Every, or everything was is in uh, fashion at the time now people are going back to 442 and 352 has come back in so you do have to look at certain things and say listen yes you have a good idea here but you really need to work on what the, the problems that are surrounding it and without doubt without doubt um there is aspects of the, of, the, of what the proposals and the strategy are. are we won't say are, are flawed, but let me say they they create a lot of opinion. Uh, I'm certainly not going to sit here and say or profess to understand what system of play is best suited to develop players. What I do say, and I do agree, uh, that the national teams or international representative sides from 15s, 17s, and 19s play a 4-3-3 system, and that's the brand of football, that, or say the brand of style of formation that w- would be implemented at those levels and has been reasonably successful. I, I suppose, look, you have to start from somewhere and in relation to to try and push the policy across and communicate it effectively you have to have our standard model uh, but i don't believe it's beyond good coaches in this country to to move and uh, to a situation to, to 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 develop formations that suit the individual player and teams and so forth and you can see that if you have three big central defenders playing you you're, you're going to look at a, a three uh, five a different format and maybe three central defenders and build it from there so yes there is written rules yes there is a structure setting place but I do believe that there's enough knowledge within the game within the coaching levels to use that to, to develop uh, different formats to, to suit the development of players sure. and you're going to see that going forward lastly what would you do within the next year to try and iron out some creases in in, in the plan? Um, I suppose the key hurdle today, obviously, is is the simple fact we have uh, a scenario where people are excluded. In other words, the the, the plan and the elite development of football, uh, 13s, 15s, Kevins or any other clubs are out. Surely we should understand the methods to uh, facilitate those clubs at least having an aspiration to get into the top table. And, uh, you know, there should be a pathway for those clubs to be able to join the 24. Uh, and I do, it wouldn't take too much of a thought process to, to, to create a system. If you won a division, you could go into a, uh, an open draw where you could compete. And if your club was successful, you could get your team into, the, into that league level. I don't think that's too far away in the thought processes. The real challenge, though, is, is, is to uh, um, get a scenario where the National League uh, keeps players and develops players and provides, let me say, support to players coming back from England. And I really, really believe this is going to be a big, big, big issue. 
Uh, I mentioned earlier the Premier League and even the Championship in England. It's 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 a worldwide competition. The money flowing through is ridiculous. So it's going to be harder and harder for our players to come through. So child welfare, I would say player welfare, is going to be key. So we're going to have all these boys going over at 16, 17, 18, taking positions in academies, doing their best, living the dream. And at 18, being told, you're not here for us. Um, and they're sent home. And what are the FEI going to do with that? Uh, you know, I used the, the word tsunami of players returning, but I, I, I mean that to emphasise the point it's becoming a critical issue. Uh, what welfare, what support, what mechanisms have we got in place to re-educate them as people? Uh, because they come back and in their minds they're seen as a, as a failure. And they believe, that they're, even though they're not, they're, they're far from it. They're the young people who have gone and aspired and tried to do their very, very best. But that brings two questions. Into what are we going to do when they come back? And probably the primary question, why should we let them go in the first place? Uh, why are they going when deep detail people with real knowledge understand that these players are not at the standard to achieve or, 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 or reach their goals? Because uh, regrettably, um, you know, people, everybody has ambition, everybody has a desire, but somebody must stand back and say, no, this is not for you. What is for you is a proper footballing development between the ages of 17, 18 and 19, an opportunity to do your leaving cert, to educate yourself to a high level, uh, to look forward to a scholarship, whether it's to Minute, UCT, and we create that uh, environment where players just don't go over to, to, to these clubs between the ages of 17 and 19 when they know and we know that the, the chances of them coming through are just slim or are not there at all, and we need to give them a different option. And that's the challenge of the next stage of any strategy plan. How do we do that? How do we develop the facility and the competition to keep those players here and marry their education with the, uh, uh, their formal education with their football development and getting them, them fit? And you look at what's been achieved just very, very recently, the Richie Tolls. You look at... Um, uh, like the most recent is Sean Maguire mm. got leaving to Preston but then you look at Daryl Horgan and Andy Boyle all of those lads have gone I think the right way uh, they did have difficult experiences to come back they were fortunate enough to work with clubs that had the, the facilities to, 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 to support their ambition and they've come through and gone over uh, uh, on contracts that will uh, be reflective of their skills reflective of what they should earn and uh, gives them the opportunity to, to, to ploy their trade for you know five to seven years now and most of those cases in the right way so in other words uh, that to me is the right way of going about developing uh, professional life yes we're going to produce in a small number top top elite players but they're going to be very small numbers uh, yes they should go but uh, for boys who have aspirations but maybe don't have all the qualities they should stay they should go and play on 17s and 19s and hopefully if we, we take on the, uh, the proposal of moving it to 23s and they should have the opportunity to educate themselves properly with real life learning and yeah. go to college and do other things. Well, there is obviously late development. So there, you need to have that room for late developers who do go on and, and still do make a career out of it. Listen, Kieran, we could talk all day. We talk longer than <laughs> Part we two in the next in we the we talk longer yeah, than we, we actually talk. I apologize. No, it's fine. <laughs> Absolutely uh, not. Listen, Thanks very much for coming in. I, I hope uh, it's, I think it's going to open a discussion rather than close a discussion. I think it's yeah. definitely going to uh, we're, we're going to come back to it again and uh, probably with uh, a few other opinions uh, to come in. Local programs, local presenters, local news. Tune to Lucky Sound ninety six point four FM.
And welcome back to the Big Kickoff on 96.4 FM. Okay, listen, we had a, an unbelievable talk there. We stretched it out, but uh, we're going to sign off now and we're going to go home and we're going to have a good think about all DDSL and League of <laughs> Ireland and what have you. Listen, I hope you have a, a great Sunday. Uh, enjoy your day. Pat's on next. Uh, so stay tuned to Pat and uh, we will talk to you next week. Stay safe. Everywhere I look, there's a dead end waiting. Temperatures dropping at the rotten oasis. Stealing kisses from the leprous faces. 